What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another installment of the Ox Show. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Today we'll be talking all things sports. We're going to start off with a little bit of what's been going on around the NHL in the last week or so since we've recorded, as well as kind of talking about the Hawks, you know, where we stand right now with them. We're going to dive into the any NFL moves that have gone on since our last recording and Utter Madness is going to finish out this show. An insane weekend we had just gone through for March Madness. We're going to look back at the games that had gone on, and we're going to look ahead to the games that are to come. All that and more in a very exciting installment of the Ox Show, which starts, wait for it, right now. What's going on, everyone? We're back. Welcome you all into the show. Almost hit in April. We're close. Major League Baseball starts up next week. And with that, our next show is going to include, might be a little bit of a longer episode because I want to break down what I think is going to come of this season. Not totally sure yet. We're either going to the next episode. Remember, I'm kind of shooting once a week. I'm a college student. I'm also a student athlete, so just a lot of things going on. But once a week is kind of my goal, but however, we're I'm, I'm kind of in the middle right now. It's either going to be next episode's gonna we're gonna kind of continue to talk about NHL th- events that have gone on since, and obviously next week we'll know what our final four is. So obviously that'll be a huge topic of conversation as well. I may or may not include Major League Baseball preview in that episode. That would make it a really long episode, or I might do two separate episodes: one just talking about hockey and what's going on and what's to come in the March Madness side of things, because I think there's going to be a lot to talk about with college hoops, and then having a whole separate show dedicated to the MLB preview. I might do that. Still deciding, but obviously you you all know as it'll come out, and I'll make it known before episodes start. But my goal is to try and split them apart if I can, but if time doesn't allow, they'll all be in the same thing. They'll all be separated, still the same deal situation nonetheless. All right, let's do it. Uh, NHL, we're going to start off with. In particular, just trying to pick up any big headlines. Um, I, I'm with hockey, still kind of integrating myself back to being a, a big time hockey person. I'm still much of a casual, but I, I, I'm working my way back out of that. Any big big games that have occurred since our last recording, I'll tell you there was one. Let me see if I can find it. Last Wednesday, the Rangers beat the Flyers 9-0. They scored seven goals in the second period. A tough day for Brian Elliott and Carter Hart in net. We saw, I believe it was Mike, I'm not going to say his last name right, Zabanajad. He recorded a hat trick and three assists all in the second period. The, the Rangers didn't even score a goal in the third period. I think they heard me talking because I was breaking down the divisions and what I saw in each each division in the last episode, I think they, they heard me saying that they were the Rangers were underperforming this year and that the Flyers would have a better shot to sneak into that fourth spot out in that division. And they took that to heart, and they put a nine spot up on the Flyers and blanked them as well, pitching a shutout. So that was good. Just kind of going through games. Same day, um, the Oilers smacked the Flames 7-3 last Wednesday. 
yeah, once again, I mean, a lot of people saw the Flames. I don't really buy into what the Flames are doing. Um, they did hire Daryl Suter, and they were considered favorites to win this game, and that's what I saw. It was 7-1 at one point. I People, when you're comparing these teams, I get that it's a big physical battle, but I, I think the I think the Oilers stayed head and shoulders way, way better than the Flames. So I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was surprised it was a, it was a four-goal deficit, but... Nonetheless, I mean, I, I did see them winning that game. I don't know why many people were on the Flames. Um, yeah, the Hawks lost Thursday to the Lightning 4-2. It was at this point, like, it's tough with the Hawks. They're kind of in the middle. You know, they either got to make that push to go for it or they got to just say, all right, we're not going to do it and try to get a better draft pick. And I think we'll dive into it. They won yesterday. So I think that that also makes the situation hard is they had lost six of their last seven until last night. And they picked up a nice win yesterday. So I think they're kind of still hovering in They're They're hanging in the playoff spot right now, but that could obviously change very, very easily. But yeah, the avalanche, this was another thing that stood out to me last week in terms of the game. They beat the wild Thursday night, five to one with 55 shots on goal. Like, I don't think people understand how crazy that is. 55 shots on goal. Cam Talbot of Minnesota, he he recorded 50 saves, and they still lost 5-1. to one. He, I mean, any other game for a goaltender, you're like, oh, he had 50 saves, like did an outstanding job in goal. But yet he still gave up five goals, and they still lost 5-1. to one. That was just absolutely absurd. Uh, nothing really big happened on Friday. The Caps won 2-1 off 18 shots on goal. Stars beat the Red Wings Saturday for the division. The Flyers really just did not have a good week. They lost 6-1 to one to the Islanders on Saturday. I do like the Islanders. They're a fun team to watch. And I think they're going to be, while they are, people do know them, I still feel like they're, they don't have enough respect in the league yet. And I think they'll be a fun team to watch come playoff time. And then Sunday we had a, a shorter slate of games. The Kings were actually able to come out and beat the Knights. Three to one. Lightning and Panthers played a real nice game, five three. Tampa took that one. A battle between the two top dogs currently sitting in the central division. Actually, two of the top dogs. Florida's now down to third. But there's that. Yesterday, or I should say Monday, Senators pulled one out against the Flames two one, big as kind of an upset there. Other than that, things just kind of look normal. And then we go into yesterday, Slate, and we saw the battle of the reigning Stanley Cup champion, Lightning, taking on the team they took down in the finals, the Dallas Stars. They beat them 2-1. And the Hawks won 3-2, almost coughed up a lead. They are up 3-0 at one point in the second, only won 3-2. Brandon Hagel looked real nice last night, set up Dominic Kubelik for his 11th goal of the season. Other goal scorers for the Hawks include the ninth goal for Pugh Suter to make it 2-0, assisted by Zadorov and Patty Kane, Kane's 31st assist. And then Carl Soderberg, who made it 3-0 at the time, scored his sixth goal, another assist for Kane, and an assist by Debrinkit. So two points for Patrick Kane last night. Hawks were able to hold on, almost, almost blew yet another lead. They're currently have 35 points in the Central Division, two points, they're in, they're in fourth, they're two points up in the the playoff talk only two points ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who were in fifth with 33, and then only four points ahead of the sixth place Nashville Predators. Big games coming up for the Hawks as they do not play tomorrow. They play Thursday at 7 against Florida. Another big game. Need to at least get a point out of that. 
And then this weekend, two big games against a team that is four points below them, the National Predators. They need to sweep the weekend. They need to win both games. It's kind of the Hawks talk. Um, like I said, in terms of big storylines, uh, one thing that was cool for the Hawks is uh, last night was the first home game for Patrick Kane since he played his 1,000th game because he hit the 1,000 game mark on their long road stand. So all the guys pregame were wearing uh, Patrick Kane jerseys while they were taking the ice, and they did his patent thing before he heads off the locker room after a pregame skate, which was flipping the puck in the stands. Even though there was no one there, they had Tommy Hawk up in the upper deck catching pucks with a net. I thought that was pretty cool. And then another thing we see yesterday, I said, hello, win column, big win. They were 1-5-0 and on the road stand, which was super disappointing, but they were able to hold on last night, pick up a victory, trying to get back in the right direction. And then we also saw last night uh, Mackenzie Entwistle. I'm definitely going to get made fun of for saying that name wrong. I I know that last name is incorrect, what I just said. He um, was talking to my hockey friend, my hockey expert, my hockey analyst, as I call him, Frank. And he was telling me, I was watching the game. I watched parts of it. I wasn't able to fully notice this. He was able to take this away better than I was. He had a what they call, I mean, there's this in many different sports, like in baseball. The definition of this thing is for mainly a pitcher. But he said uh, McKenzie had a case of the yips last night. And when he explained it to me, it made sense. So from a baseball perspective, you know, having a case of the yips is like as a pitcher, like not being able to throw a strike, you're psyched out mentally in your head. Just you're not able to get anything over. You're breaking stuff isn't working. You're just you're mentally just not there. And you just can't throw a strike and you can't throw a baseball. And that happens a lot with pitchers. It's pretty common. Uh, I think Andrew Miller of the Cardinals last either 2019 or 2020 had a case of the yips for a while in spring training. It's it's a real thing. It's a real issue in sports. I didn't I didn't really know how it would be a thing in hockey, but I found out how it. I, I could see how it was mainly just nervous. It was the kids' first uh, National Hockey League game. He um he he had low not a lot of shifts. He was only on the ice for uh, six minutes three seconds. He recorded about twelve shifts, and I, I thought that was kind of normal. But then you look at everybody else in the stat sheet with like ice time. I'll see if I can pull it up because this stood out to me majorly if I can get it. Okay, yeah, total ice time. You look at everyone. We'll look at forwards. Like, Kubalik had 14 minutes on the ice to brink at 21. Yanmark, 15. Dylan Strom at 14. Carpenter at 15. Kershev at 10. Suter with 16. Soderberg with 13. Hagel with 13. Camp with 16. And Pat Kane with 24. And then you see McKenzie sitting at 6 minutes of ice time. So, basically what I was told is and it makes sense looking back at it now, is he was just jumping shifts too early. He just wasn't in sync with the shift changes, and he just kind of jumped the gun a little early, which, I mean, it's understandable. It is it is what it is. Um, just feel bad he wasn't able to get as many opportunities. You know, you're a kid, you're making your first appearance, you want to make it, everything known as much as possible, make your presence known, and, and obviously getting limited ice time kind of hurts that, but... Nonetheless, you know, it's just one of those things. So I feel bad for the kid. You know, hopefully he gets – I'm not sure if he's in the card and the plans for tomorrow. If he is, it's another chance for him to kind of make a name for himself. But, yeah, those are like – those were some of the takeaways you see from the uh, the victory against the Panthers last night. Another thing, you see uh, Alex DeBrinkett and Steven Stamkos are now tied for goal leaders in the Central with 16 each. Good to see DeBrinkett get going. He's having a great season. 
And yeah, so I mean, the Hawks, like I said, they just got to start. They got to kick it into a new gear. I mean, their upcoming schedule will kind of break it down right now. They got Florida tomorrow at home and then Nashville home the weekend. The weekend's huge, man. Got to come out of that weekend with four points or at the worst three. You got to win at least one game and you got to put another game to overtime at the very worst. However, with it being Nashville, you want to just try to go 4-0, win all four points to zero. You don't want Nashville to even get the game to overtime because with them being just a few points behind, the last thing you want is even if you win a game in overtime, you go, ah, crap, you know, we gave them another point. So try to come out of that weekend, just two regulation victories, and then we host Carolina next week, Tuesday, Thursday. It'll be a tough matchup, another team that's ahead of us in the division. And then we head to Nashville that Saturday, and then we come back home and play Dallas Tuesday, Thursday. So those are just key games. Hawks need to pick up those those points against those teams, especially below us in the standings. Is A, don't want them catching up, and B, clearly we have the ability to hang with those teams. It's understandable. You know, the team is... You know, people are saying, oh, you got to expect another two, three-year wait on these guys. But just do work with what you got and do the best with what you, you have in front of you. And, you know, obviously Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, they're way they're many steps ahead of us right now, and that's fine. All you can ask for is for those guys to go out there and compete and just hang in with them. And I think they're doing that. I mean, they beat a Florida, they beat Florida last night in regulation. It's a huge victory. You know, we'll have to see where, where it takes us tomorrow. But in terms of am I worried about the Hawks? I mean, yeah, I, I – for the playoffs, I mean, yeah. So, but like, it's so tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I want them to make the playoffs, even though oh, it's a, they're still technically rebuilding. They're just a little ahead of schedule. They're just young, you know. They're gonna have issues of okay, yeah, not holding leads. You know, the young goaltenders giving up goals that necessarily they wouldn't give up if they were a little bit more experienced. Yada yada yada. That's fine. I still want these guys in the playoffs. I don't care if we get bounced in the first round by Tampa, Carolina, Florida. I don't care. Well, obviously being as the four seed, because first place Tampa's got 15 points on us. Carolina's in second with 10 points on us, and Florida's in third. They got nine points on us. So, well, obviously, if we're in, we enter as the number four. We're going to play the top team in the division. Do I expect to win that series? No. But do I expect the guys to go out there and compete and, and give it a run for it? Yeah, of course. You know, crazier things happen. I mean, you see, I believe it was Columbus who took down Tampa. Tampa won the President's Trophy a couple years ago in the first round. They swept them. You know, anything can happen when it comes to playoff time. You just got to make it to the dance. And that's all I want to see these guys do. I want to see these young. I want to give these young guys playoff experience. Even, I know we're not going to win the cup this year. That's obvious. The Hawks weren't even supposed to be even near the point they're at right now. But now that we're here, I mean, let's go do it. Let's get there. Let's not just miss out. Even if it's good for the experience of the guys who haven't been there. You know, there are some, there are barely any guys. I think Kane and Keith are the only guys left remaining from the cup teams. You know, those are the only guys with true playoff experience. I think Yanmark last year with the, the Stars. But other than that, like, got to get guys at least some playoff experience so that way when the team's ready to go, they know what they're doing in the playoffs. And then if there's other young guys who come up, kind of show them the ropes a little bit. It's a very inexperienced playoff team. And just, just to get into that atmosphere, I get there's not going to be any fans. But just to know what a playoff series, a playoff environment feels like from a competitive perspective is just huge. So let's get there. And it just starts with them kind of grinding out victories, trying to outplay these teams that are much better than us right now. And and that's just kind of the point we got to be at. So take it game by game for these guys. Um, Lincoln looked really good last night. Had a remarkable, remarkable couple of saves. Robbed Aaron Ekblad many times. But nonetheless, you know, for the Hawks, it's just battling. How can you outwork your opponent? So... People are talking still. I'm on the NHL site now just trying to look up like top stories. Um, 
Flyers going to be aggressive at the deadline. I can see it. I was talking about this in the last episode. They're just on the outside looking in. They want to get in, and they just don't want to get in to get in. They want to compete. They're two points behind Boston in fourth. Uh, big point here for the Hawks tomorrow night. Alexander Barkov will not play. Arguably Florida's best player. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's going to be, you know, we're we're just excited. I'm excited to see what's to come for these Hawks this season. So trying to look ahead for tonight, see if there's any notable goaltending or scratches for teams. But yeah, it should be a good slate tonight. We see, I'll make some predictions for tonight. Why the heck not? Uh, Got New Jersey playing Washington. I'll take the Caps. I will take the Blues over the Ducks. I'm going to take the Sharks over the Coyotes. Even uh, Winnipeg over the Flames for sure. And then I'm going to take Edmonton to beat Montreal on the road. Just some games for tonight. And then, like I said, those are Hawks talk for this side of the show. Now, like I said, I'm still working on it from a hockey thing. I'm going to work to become less of a casual. I think when stuff like March Madness is gone and free agency is gone, I'm going to have to because this show, I want this show, I'm not, I'm going to be like, keep it as, 100 as possible right now over the summer this show is going to be just baseball baseball is my number one i am a baseball player i've played baseball my whole life baseball is my favorite sport. It's my once not i have passion in every sport but it is my the sport i'm without a doubt most passionate about and so yeah when that gets underway like just know over the summer baseball 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 and some playoff hockey and for people you're listening like, oh, what about basketball? I'm just not in it with the NBA, man. I'm just not impressed. I don't like what the league's doing. But I love college hoops, man. And we're going to dive into that a little bit toward the end of the show. But I love college hoops. And it's just been a blast to watch this past weekend. So, all right. Let's dive into any type of football moves. There have been a lot of them that have happened in the last week. And I'll just try to talk about like what I think about them. So since we last recorded, I'm trying to think where we left off. Uh, I believe, oh, there's, yeah, there's been a lot. Of, okay. Here we are. I'm at where we left off from last week. Um, all right, let's get the big one out of the way. Kenny Galladay to New York giants. I absolutely love this move for the giants. Their offense looks all of a sudden much better surrounding Daniel Jones this upcoming season. They got guys, they still got guys like Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. However, Shepard gets hurt a lot, and Slayton's a little consistent. But Slayton had a good year last year, so actually, I'm not going to bash Slayton. I'll just bash Shepard. Shepard's inconsistent. He gets hurt a lot. Tight end perspective, they still have Evan Ingram, and they just added Kyle Rudolph, so they got two tight end threats for Daniel Jones. As I mentioned last show, they brought in uh, speedster, deep threat, John Ross on a cheap one-year deal. Hopefully, he stays healthy and, and can provide for that team. They're bringing getting back Saquon Barkley. The big fish they brought in, four years, $72 million. Kenny Galladay. Like, Wow, this offense is legit. The only question mark now is the guy throwing the rock, and that's Daniel Jones. This puts a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones, and they'll know now by November, December, if he's going to be the guy they're riding with for the future or not because this is basically the Giants' front office saying, hey, Daniel, here's the tools. Here's the key to the car. Don't crash, don't crash it, you know? And they've given him everything now. They have a top-wide receiver threat for him. It'll be interesting to see where they go in the draft. That'll be another fun thing. Draft sidebar. 
Um, draft's going to be at the end of April, so the week leading up to that, I'll kind of break down what I, who I think is going to go where, draft picks, all that stuff. So that'll be in its own show as well. But back to this, it'll be great to see. It'll be interesting to see how Daniel Jones, he has everything now. You can't say he doesn't have weapons. He's got he's got everything he needs now. So see if, if he can get the job done. But Giants offense look very fun next season. Uh, another thing, we got Kansas City Chiefs signing a former Bears offensive lineman out of retirement, a guy I personally was a huge fan of just as a person. Kyle Long, one-year, $5 million deal to be an offensive guard. All of a sudden, the interior line of the Chiefs is absolutely loaded, having Joe Dooney and Kyle Long. It's great to see Kyle back. Hopefully, he has much success with the Chiefs. Um, I guess now that I'm seeing this, I'll, I'll just talk about everything that's been going on. Man, the Bucks are just bringing the whole gang back together. They re-signed Ryan Suckup to a uh, their kicker to a three-year deal, twelve million bucks, six point two five mil guaranteed. Uh, they got a contract extension for offensive lineman Donovan Smith, and they also re-signed Adama Kinsu. They're just bringing everyone back. I would not doubt this team running back-to-back Super Bowls, especially with who's running the helmet quarterback, Tom Brady. Even though he's getting older, by like everything that means life. I mean, every day you get older, Tom Brady continues to go older yet. He seems to have not missed a beat. Would not doubt if this team, I, I would definitely see a lot of future bets being placed right now on the Bucks to win the Super Bowl next season. Uh, Washington added Curtis Samuel, nice little wide receiver threat for new quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Samuel had a great year last year with the Panthers. I always knew in fantasy because I had DJ Moore. Samuel would always be stealing targets, touchdowns, and receptions from him. But still, it's a great ad for them. Uh, Pat Pete to the Minnesota Vikings. One year, $10 million. Had a great 10-year run in Arizona. It's a shame that he doesn't get to be a part of the new team that they got running with all those guys. Um, the Bills sign Mitchell Trubisky to become their backup quarterback to Josh Allen. It's tough times as a Bears fan to see Mitch go. He went on a much, much cheaper salary than what we saw in Dalton for. It's just sad, but hopefully he gets an opportunity to further his career there. Another guy the Bucks brought back was Rakeem Nunez-Roches. Other news, LaMarcus Joyner is now a New York Jet. One year, $4.5 million. The Browns bulked up their secondary, bringing in cornerback Troy Hill, and I believe they brought in a safety as well. Trying to see who else they signed. The Browns did sign Malik Jackson. Who's that's kind of a big deal. He's been working his way back. The Broncos signed their star safety, Justin Simmons, four years, sixty-one million dollars. Dude's been a menace on their defense for the past few years, so he got his he got paid. Riley Reef, offensive tackle, is now with the Bengals. I'm trying to see what else before I get into my heat again. Juju's back on the Steelers, one year, $8 million. Kyle Van Noy also returns to the Patriots. Uh, Juju's on a one-year deal, basically a prove-it deal. He'll, head, he'll enter free agency next year, hoping to seek a bigger bag. Kyle Fuller, not Kyle Fuller. We'll talk about Kyle Fuller in a minute. Will Fuller. Is the newest receiver for the Miami Dolphins. Huge target for Tua. And now we'll talk about Kyle Fuller. The Bears released Kyle Fuller. And oh my gosh, what is this front office doing? Saved $11 million 
in cap. He then proceeded to sign with Vic Fangio for one year, nine and a half million dollars in Denver. It's so tough to see Kyle go. He's done so much to the organization, two-time All-Pro in his seven years, was just outstanding, always made big plays. So now the new cornerback we signed to line up opposite of Jalen Johnson, who's going to be entering his second year out of Utah, is the veteran Desmond Trufant. Old. We downgraded and picked up Desmond Trufant. I don't even know how old is Desmond Trufant. I'm looking it up right now. Desmond Trufant. He's 30. He's not as old as I thought he was. He's actually not too old. Uh, was with Detroit last year, a long time Atlanta Falcon. See what happens. Jalen Johnson basically has to step up and become the best corner in the organization now. And hopefully Desmond Trufant can show some flashes of what he used to be. Uh, other signings. Keanu Neal is now a cowboy, which is huge. Uh, Mariota signed a re-sign with Vegas, so he'll be back. Other backup quarterback, Joe Flacco. Returns to or not returns. He's now a Eagle behind Jalen Hurts, and assuming that is the only addition they make, Jalen Hurts is going to be clear cut QB one. Howie Roseman talked about bringing in competition, and if Joe Flacco is all they bring in, that's not any competition. I take Jalen Hurts all day, every day. Uh, today specifically, two signings: um, the Colts bringing back Ty for a one year deal to be a part of the receiving corpse with uh, Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman for Carson Wentz. And the Bears made a move today, probably the best move they've made all offseason in terms of bringing in someone, not letting go. Letting go of someone in terms of adding and dropping, the worst thing they've done is cut Kyle Fuller. But in terms of bringing someone in that's a positive, Damian Williams, Super Bowl hero from the Chiefs victory a couple years ago, is coming in on a one-year deal. I love this signing. Running backs get banged up, Montgomery and Cohen. It's just nice to have an insurance policy like Damian Williams, and who knows, maybe he'll break in and, and make a big impact in me a regular part of the offense. I see him starting as a backup, though, but who knows, Montgomery could go down, Cohen could go down again. You know, guys get hurt a lot, and it's nice to have insurance policies because last year all we had was undrafted rookie free agent Artavis Pierce and Ryan Nall, so it's nice to have some more depth in the backfield. So I, lo- I love that addition for us. Um, the Giants also picked up corner Adoree Jackson, three-year deal. And Deshaun Jackson's a Los Angeles Rams, so it's good to see Deshaun still getting an opportunity in this league after getting a lot, getting hurt a lot last year with Philly. And I think that'll wrap up our NFL you know, free agency spin this week. Now let's dive into the madness. What a weekend we went through, man. I mean... I'll break down. I'll try to break down every game. I watched. I watched as many games as possible. I had a relatively free weekend. I still had to get some stuff done, so I watched as many games as possible. And we'll just go down the slate, um, or we could break it down by region. Yeah, let's do that. Break it down by region. We'll start with the West. I believe. Hold on one second. I'm trying to figure out. Because the bracket I have pulled up right now doesn't have everything. Like, they don't have the regions. Uh, March Madness bracket. Because I want to break this down by region. I feel like it's more of an organized way to do it. Then, there we go. Oh, this is perfect. Okay. Yet these still, okay, here we go. We'll start out west, which is what I was going to do. 
Um, Gonzaga manhandled Norfolk State 90-55 in the round of 64. I mean, there's not really much to talk about. Well, this is all round of 64. Actually, no, we'll we'll break down each region to where it's at right now. Not much to talk about there. Uh, Oklahoma beat Missouri 72-68, the 8-9 matchup. Good game, really good game to watch, actually. I kind of caught the tail end of it. I know Oklahoma was down their star point guard. Both teams went toe-to-toe. It was a fun, entertaining game to watch between two relatively similar teams. Uh, five Creighton against 12, uh, University of California, Santa Barbara. This game was nail-biting. Santa Barbara almost pulled off the upset, 63-62. Creighton got out of there, barely alive, but they did. And it was, it was an overall good game to watch down to the wire. And that theme continues here with thir- number 13, Ohio, upsetting number four, Virginia. Jason Preston is an absolute dog, and I mentioned it. In our last show, watch out for him in that game. I took Virginia, but I knew Ohio had a chance of upsetting, and they indeed did. Great game for Preston. Ohio took down the Bobcats, took down the Cavaliers, 62-58. And now we go um, number 6, USC, took down the 11 seed Drake Bulldogs in the playing game, or Drake got in via the playing game, 72-56. Not much of a... Not much to talk about there. I mean, Southern Cal, they've looked great this whole tournament, and they, they took care of business. The Mobley brothers took care of Drake, no problem. This next game was this game was scary for a while. I mean, Kansas and Eastern Washington. I think Eastern Washington, it was a tight game in the first half. Kansas pulled away in the second half, winning by 9, 93-84. Uh, this, this one really made me mad, and it was a game that didn't even happen. Uh, we've had one no contest in this tournament, and it was number 7 Oregon automatically getting to advance because of 10 seed Virginia Commonwealth having COVID issues within the program. I mean, after seeing how Oregon played in the round of 32, it makes sense that, I mean, they probably would have beaten VCU anyways. But, yeah, I mean, it's just still, it's it's tough to see. You don't, you never want to wish that, not wish that, but you just never want to see that upon anyone. And I was really hoping we wouldn't have to go through a no contest, but we did. And yeah, so here we are. They automatically advanced to play the winner of Iowa Grand Canyon. Obviously, Iowa took down Grand Canyon, eighty six seventy four. Not, I mean, they they played well. It wasn't a blowout though. I mean, usually when you see two versus fifteens, one versus sixteens, like you expect, like not expect, but like Gonzaga beat Norfolk State by thirty four points, but Iowa just didn't do that with Grand Canyon. I think the line out there was a 14-point spread, so I don't think, in general, it wasn't expected because Iowa doesn't really do that to teams. But, yeah. All right, round of 32, Gonzaga beat Oklahoma 87-71. A lot of people had faith that Oklahoma could hang in there and compete, and they did for a little while in the first half, but Gonzaga's just too good of a team. Jalen Suggs is an absolute monster, and I expect him to continue to tear it up going forward. Uh, Creighton beat Ohio 72-58 pretty handily. Uh, the magical run for the Bob for the uh, the Bobcats is over. Creighton's moved on to play Gonzaga, which should be a pretty interesting game on Sunday. Uh, out west, this one was super surprising. Southern Cal, the Trojans, six seeded, taken down the three seeded Kansas Jayhawks by thirty four points. The Mobley brothers continuing their dominance in the West region. The Pac-12 also continued dominance up until the Colorado loss. The Pac-12 was like eight and zero or something in this tournament, and a lot of a lot of experts with the Big Ten having nine teams in. We'll talk about the Big Ten disappointment as well. Big Ten and Big Twelve were the big time conferences this year, 
It's an off year for the ACC, and the Pac-12 is just irrelevant as usual. That's not the case. Pac-12 is playing amazing basketball here in March. And that trend obviously then continues in the next game as an upset. Really high score in a game, 95-80. The seven-seed Oregon Ducks take down the number two-seed Iowa Hawkeyes. Luca Garza and the Hawkeye season comes to an end. And I kind of I kind of called this off air in like February when I watched Iowa barely beat an unranked and just not good Penn State Nittany Lions team. And I was like, Iowa's not going to go far. I don't see it. Yet, then it comes down to March. I see them play the conference tournament. I pick them to go far in my brackets and to win in one of my five. Oh, yeah, my brackets are just terrible. We're not even going to talk about them. But... I, I should have stuck with the gut feeling and what I'd said back in February. So now we'll break down the future matchups. That leads to one Gonzaga versus five Creighton and a Pac-12 matchup of six USC versus seven Oregon. I think Gonzaga will take down Creighton. Creighton's run will come to an end. And then USC-Oregon will be a good game. It'll be real good. But I just think Oregon only playing one tournament game, it helps and hurts them. It helps them because, well, obviously they, they haven't played as many games. So they're just more fresh. I mean, everyone has a longer break, but Oregon didn't have to play two games last weekend. They only had to play one, but the Trojans are hot. They just beat a Jayhawk team by 34. I think USC will win this game, but it'll be really good, and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other way, which would then lead to Gonzaga versus USC in the Elite Eight, and then I'll I'll take the Zags. I'm riding with Gonzaga out of the West still. All right, East. uh, Michigan took down number 16, Texas Southern, 82-66. No surprise there. This game kind of surprised me, this next one, a little bit. Uh, 8 LSU against the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. LSU won by 15. I was expecting a little bit more of a closer game. I'd said in the last show it could have gone either way, and I was like, oh, I'll ride with a small school in Bonaventure. But the Tigers look good, and they took care of business. This next game disappointed a lot of people. This was an early morning game. I don't even think I was awake for this game. I woke up I woke up late on Saturday. Or was this Sunday? This was Sunday, I want to say. No, this was Saturday. Saturday. And I, I missed most of it, but Colorado, most, this is the highest scoring point game besides the Gonzaga victory. They took down number 12, Georgetown, 96-73, a 23-point victory for Colorado Boulder. And, I mean, they're a good team, so it doesn't surprise me, but I thought, I mean, Georgetown, let's be honest, they were never a super good team. They got lucky in winning the Big East tournament, but they were hot. You know, hot teams win in March, you know, riding off a hot hand. Nonetheless, their magical run kind of came to an end. Florida State beat UNC Greensboro, 64-54, only by 10. But still, nonetheless, got the job done. Uh, Upset here, a play-in winner, UCLA, taking down number 6 BYU, 73-62. UCLA looks like they're a hot team right now. They are in the Sweet 16, but they're going to be going against tough odds. And they have played an extra game. Think about it, Oregon's only played one game in this tournament right now. UCLA has played three. There's a huge difference. Still, Pac-12 victory is a Pac-12 victory. Next game broke a lot of hearts in a very low-scoring game. 14-seeded Abilene Christian took down number three Texas, 53-52. This game went down to the wire. Texas had so many opportunities, and they just blew it. Abilene Christian was basically giving them the game toward the end. They weren't able to take advantage, so Abilene Christian was able to move on. Uh, Next game also surprised a lot of people. I'm going to feel like I'm going to say that the whole show. A lot of these games surprised a lot of people. Number 10, Maryland, the, the Terps, took down number 7, UConn, uh, 63-54, nine-point victory. A lot of people like UConn as a sleeper team, and they don't even get out of the first round. So 
I didn't really watch much of that game. I watched out of this bracket. I did not watch the BYU-UCLA game. I didn't watch the Florida State game. I didn't watch the Colorado game. I watched a little of the LSU game. I think the game I watched, the games I watched the most were Texas Abilene Christian and this next game, Alabama-Iona, number two seed Bama, taking down Rick Pitino's Iona Gales, 68-55. Iona hung in. They were, I think they were winning at half or it was tied at half. It was a good game at halftime. Bama's a strong team. Nate Oates is a group pulled away. 13-point victory in the second half. So next round, round of 32, Michigan took down LSU, 86-78. Great game to watch. Um, LSU was in it for most of the way in the last five, six minutes. Michigan just pulled away. And they'll be taking on Florida State, who beat the Colorado Buffaloes, 71-53. Absolute blowout. Florida State showing why they're a four seed and why they're going to be a legit team in this tournament. That'll be an exciting game to watch at 5 p.m. Central on the 28th between number one Michigan, number four Florida State. 11 at UCLA against number 14, Abilene Christian, our one and only double-digit seed game that we had in the round of 32. The Bruins brushed off Abilene Christian like they were nothing. 20 bomb on them, 67-47, our final. Alabama put up 96 points in their matchup against number 10, Maryland, 96-77, continuing the woes of the Big Ten schools. At least Maryland got a tournament win. A lot of Big Ten teams didn't even get tournament wins, and a lot of Big Ten teams that were better than Maryland didn't even get tournament wins, but nonetheless. So now we see a Sweet 16 coming up this weekend, back-to-back games on your TV slate, 5 p.m. Central for Michigan versus Florida State, and 7.15 Central between UCLA and Bama. I'm taking Bama, and I'm going to take Michigan. Don't be surprised if Florida State comes in and takes down the Wolverines, though. Should both be very good games to watch. All these games could be very good games to watch. Let's head up south. Uh, Baylor took down Hartford, 79-55. No surprise there. And then Wisconsin. This was a shock. A lot of, Wisconsin was an underdog, a one-point underdog coming into their 8-9 matchup against North Carolina. Slapped them silly. 85-62, the Badgers. There's a Big Ten victory for you. Uh, this next game hurts me. It was the upset I was telling everyone about on the show last week. I got no upsets Right. All the teams that I thought would win got upset. And this one upset, I was so confident in. It was a good game for the most part, but you could just kind of tell, even without their best player, Villanova had a lot of control over the Winthrop Eagles. Nova wins 73-63. Next game shocked me as well. Went to overtime. A great game to watch. I watched, what did I watch in this region? I watched pretty much all these games. I watched Baylor. I watched North Carolina, Wisconsin. I watched Villanova Winthrop. I watched this next game. Number 13 seed North Texas took down number four seed Purdue 78 69, heartbreaker, Purdue looked awful. Only one guy could do anything. Their free throw shooting was terrible. North Texas played great defense when it counted and just hit on all cylinders. This next game, uh, Texas Tech, Utah State, didn't really watch it. I know Tech played, they obviously played well. Watching the recaps, look at the box scores, they were able to take down Utah State 65-53. Next game I watched a lot of, because this was like the second game of the whole tournament that started. Gave me a little scare, Colgate. Arkansas held off Colgate 85-68, but the score does not depict how the game went. With like six minutes left in the first half, Colgate was up 14. Arkansas showing why. And I, I genuine, genuine, genuinely believe in Musselman's group here. Went on a 17-0 run to end the half. Went up by three at half and just cruised through the second half. One of my friends texted me saying, hey, man, like, I don't know why you're so high on Arkansas now. They barely beat Colgate, and they did. Yeah, they did barely beat them, but look at the box score. The second half, they like just went out there to kill, and they just destroyed them in the second half. That's how I feel like the whole game should have went. They just kind of started out slow, and it happens. 
Uh, seven Virginia against number 10 Virginia Tech. I like Virginia Tech a lot. This was the first game to start the tournament. I watched mostly all of it. Overtime game, Florida played well. Virginia Tech hung it out, but 75-70 the final. This next game is the ultimate shocker of the first round. Number 15, Oral Roberts. In overtime, a lot of overtime games too. Taking down number two, Utah or Ohio State, 75-72. Man, the Buckeyes looked horrible. They missed a lot of free throws. Dwayne Washington took a lot of stupid shots, double-teamed, triple-teamed. That man's going to be hated in Columbus forever. Terrible showing by the Buckeyes. Really let the Big Ten down. Oral Roberts, Eagles, 75-72. Round of 32, Baylor, Wisconsin, 76-63. Baylor, as expected. Villanova took care of business against North Texas, beating them by 23, 84-61 the final. Uh, North Texas run comes to an end. Villanova looks red hot even without Connor Gillespie. But they're going to really be put to the test this upcoming weekend when they take on Baylor. Uh, Arkansas-Texas Tech was a great game. Texas Tech blew it. They had so many chances to win. But I still love this Arkansas group. 68-66 the final. And then another shocker, I was not surprised when I saw this because when they beat Ohio State, I was like, yeah, you know what? Knowing them, watch. They'll make the Sweet 16, too. Taking down number 15, Oral Roberts. Taking down number 7, Florida, 81-78. They are the second 15th seed to ever make it out of the round of 32. The first since 2013 in the Florida Gulf Coast squad that year. Dunk City, as they were known. All right, uh, Sweet 16. Baylor and Villanova, I'm going to take Baylor, number one seed. They're hot. I'll ride with them. Villanova, I wouldn't be surprised, though. Villanova's playing great basketball, but I still think Baylor will edge them out. And number two, Arkansas versus number 15, Oral Roberts. I, this Cinderella run's got to come to an end here. But Arkansas scheduled these guys in December. They played them. Tie game at halftime. Arkansas pulled away at the end, went by 13. Arkansas is hot right now. Even though they struggle in Colgate, I feel, like, I feel like out of the gate it'll be kind of tight, but Arkansas will pull away at the end, kind of like what they did in December. I think they'll take down Oral Roberts, making the Elite Eight matchup between Baylor and Arkansas, and it'll be a fantastic game. Now, head down to the Midwest region. Illinois beat Drexel, one seed 16-78-49. No shocker there. This next game, really happy to see as being a Chicagoland area native. Uh, Loyola Chicago took down number nine Georgia Tech, 71-60. Cam Crutwig, Sister Jean, and the gang look great. Uh, this next game, Tennessee looked terrible. Really bad look for a five seed. Uh, 70 to 56, number 12, Oregon State over number five, Tennessee. And then we saw the Cade Cunningham show pull away at the end. Number four, Oklahoma State takes down number 13, Liberty, 69 to 60. Buddy Beheim ride the hot hand. Number 11, Syracuse. Absolutely manhandles in a way the number six seed San Diego State Aztecs. A lot of people had the Aztecs going far, but Jim and Buddy Beheim have other plans for them. 78 62, a 16 point victory for the 11 seed Cuse Orange. Uh, Rutgers Clemson, a fantastic game, a game I watched to the end. I did not watch a lot of games in this region. I watched, let me see what I watched. I watched Loyola Chicago Tech a little bit. I watched both Tennessee versus Oregon State and Oklahoma State versus Liberty. Didn't really watch Syracuse. Didn't not watch. Oh, I completely skipped over. West Virginia beat Moorhead State by 23. Or, no, that's terrible math. Holy cow, 17. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of expected. Uh, Yeah, Rutgers-Clemson 60-56. The 10 seed Scarlet Knights take down the Tigers. That's a Big Ten victory from another 10 seed, just like Maryland did in the East. Great game. A lot of opportunities for Clemson there at the end, but it was a, it was just an overall good ending to, to a basketball game. And then number two, Houston beat Cleveland State. 
87-56. There is a 31-point victory for you for the Cougars, like the Cougars. Hot hand team. All right. Sweet 16. The game of the Sweet 16 in this region, in my opinion. Make the debate. But at being a guy from Illinois, this was a great game to watch. Number one, Illinois falls to number eight, Loyola Chicago, by 13 points, 71-58. And I kind of I kind of thought this this as well. Well, Sister Jean's got something over this tournament. She she can control things like nobody else. But here's the thing. We see I'm talking about all these scores. You're seeing a lot of high scoring games, a lot of teams breaking 80s, 90s. So not a lot of good defense is being played in this tournament. Loyola Chicago plays great defense. They held the Illini, a top school in the entire nation. They held Io, Kofi, Adam Miller, Trent Frazier. They held them to under 60 points. Impeccable defense. Cam Crudwick is the heart and soul of that team. Williamson played well, played well too. That team's going places. They're going to play number 12 Oregon State in the Elite Eight, and I or in the Sweet 16, and I am confident they will get to the Elite Eight. Hopefully I'm not putting a jinx on them, but Sister Jean will override that jinx anyways. So yes, they win by 13, ending Illinois season. Illinois had a great season. And a lot of people are disappointed. Yeah, I think I I think Io's gone. Don't quote me on it. But still, Kofi is only a sophomore, so he's got a couple years left. Adam Miller's a freshman. They got young guys still. And now that teams see what Illinois can do, they'll become a recruiting hub out of the Big Ten. It's a program that's not going to start building itself up thanks to this amazing season. Uh, next game, Cade Cunningham's Oklahoma State Cowboys fell 10 points short to Oregon State, 80-70. to 70. Uh, Cunningham put up good numbers in this tournament, but if you break it down, he took a lot of shots and missed a lot of shots. So while his numbers look good, they're not good for the amount of shots he took. He could have played much better. He struggled in this tournament. He'll still he's still a great basketball player, but he just this tournament just wasn't big for him. And a lot of his and it showed too though. Oklahoma State is not just a one man team. They're a great team, played great defense. I mean, except this game allowing eighty points. But just throughout the season, they have other they had other guys, and I think a lot of people didn't care about that because oh, Cade Cunningham, possible top pick in the draft this year. They're like, oh, I don't care. I don't care about the other guys. No, the other guys are like, you know what? Yeah, Cade, Cade put up good numbers, but he didn't shoot the ball well. You know, we're here to pick him up. A lot of guys played well. It's a good effort for them, but they'll be heading home. And then Syracuse, Buddy Beheim, Jim Beheim took down West Virginia. I I could, I saw it happening. I mean, West Virginia is a good team, but I didn't think they were great as a three seed, 75-72. And then this next game I watched to the end. Rutgers had a great chance to beat Houston, and they couldn't. 10-seed Rutgers falls to 2-seed Houston, 63-60. Sweet 16 predictions. We got 8 Loyola Chicago against number 12 Oregon State. I'm obviously taking Loyola Chicago being from Chicago or suburb of. And then number 11 Syracuse against number 2 Houston. It's going to be tough to pick against the Bayheims, but I'm going to ride with Houston. I mean, I know they almost didn't make it out against Rutgers, but I feel like they're a much better team than that, and I feel like they can, they, they're going to show it in the Sweet 16. So then I'll have Loyola against Houston in the Elite 8, and Winner of that goes to Final Four, and at that point, it is anybody's ball game. It'll be a great weekend of basketball to come. No doubt in my mind about that. Make sure to tune in and watch some college basketball. There were so many games this past weekend. You just felt like you just need to sit there and watch all of it. Don't get me wrong, I did other things this weekend, but I watched a lot of college basketball, and it was a lot of fun, especially being someone who didn't watch a lot of it during the regular season. It's still a fun tournament to watch. Historic with the amount of upsets there have been. But nonetheless, it's just been outstanding so far, so it'll be a great weekend to come. A lot to come this week in terms of hockey 
you know, how are the Hawks going to fare? Are they going to push a little more? Are they just going to kind of give? And then college basketball, it'll be a fun weekend ahead. The Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. We will know our final four by the time we talk about this next. So thank you all for listening. Remember, I'm still going to try and figure out whether I'm including next show with an MLB preview on the back end or if I'm going to do two separates. We'll figure that out. But nonetheless, thank you all for watching. I appreciate it today. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to support me and watch and listen to the show. I always say watch because I'm used to having a camera in my face with broadcasting, but podcasting and radio is still a love of mine. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Catch you next time. And go watch some sports this weekend, please. I beg. Thank you. Have a good one.